Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with transformational coach Zach Blakeney. With an extensive portfolio of working with hundreds of CEOs, founders, and C-suite executives, Zach has mastered the art of guiding individuals to ignite their inner transformation. Now, he focuses his expertise on healing men from the clutches of porn addiction as he passionately pursues his mission to reform addiction recovery to align with the profound truth of what truly works. Drawing from his own experiences of battling a 16-year porn addiction, a 10-year struggle with drugs, and enduring the pain of a challenging divorce, Zach's inspiring and joyful tone brings hope and inspiration to all audiences. Enjoy this interview. Hey, Zach, what's up, man? Nothing much, brother. How are you? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. Where are you coming out of? Uh, Austin, Texas. Oh, cool, man. Very cool. Yeah, that Austin just blew up, didn't it? <laughs> it's been blowing up. <laughs> man, alive. Just like everybody, I mean, you got Joe Rogan's down there talking about it all the time. It's like, there's just so much. So that's cool, though. Yeah. Um, I've been here since 2011. Okay. Uh, so I've seen a lot of um, a lot of changes and a lot of growth. You were there before it was cool. <laughs> About when it started getting cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, man, thank you for taking a minute out for the program today. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, brother. It's my honor. So before we get into your life as a coach, I want to know one of the biggest things that we've gone through in our lifetimes was COVID. How did you get through the last three years and how has it changed you now that we're coming out of it? We're in the post-pandemic era. Well, <laughs> that, is, that is quite a question. We're starting uh, off running. Let, let, let me start with uh, my experience in the middle of COVID. So I was in the middle of COVID. Uh, I was running a fitness business uh, online and uh, also bodybuilding and, you know, I was so used to the daily grind uh, of working. You know, I enjoy working. I love my work. And also it can be a little bit of an avoidance strategy, <laughs> as it might be for most people. Um, so during that time, you know, with the gyms closing and everything else, you know, I was watching uh, a lot of my clients were, you know, going off the retainer. Right. So, uh, you know, I was losing clients left and right. And I was just freaking out the entire time and me freaking out had me work more and more. And I was coming out with this uh, course on doing at-home workouts and all these things. And I got to tell you the moment uh, that I just felt so defeated is I, I put in like 14 days straight of work from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Just work and work and work. And, and then I saw Peloton came out with this app for free. Oh, no. Oh, man. Uh, it was free 90 days for Peloton. And I saw it and I was like, and I'm trying to sell this course for $97 for at-home training and can't do that. Um, so at that point, I, I lost all ambition. And uh, let's couple the fact that Ben and Jerry's had some great timing of different ice creams that they came out with and all the Netflix shows. And I just submitted uh, to being quarantined and being controlled. So uh, I, I gained a lot of weight as a fitness coach during that time and um, really did some soul searching simultaneously, you know, so you know, that was a huge wake up call for me in a sense, the way that I operate on a daily um, that I, I really wasn't focused too much on who I was being and I was overly focused on what I was doing. So uh, from that point forward, I, I think this happened for a lot of people as well. It, it's a huge transformation that's kind of happened over those three years. Uh, I discovered during that time that, you know, there was something deeper that was calling me forward. And uh, I started working with entrepreneurs uh, CEOs, C-suite executives when it comes to emotional intelligence and performance. 
Uh, and that was very fulfilling for a short time as well. Uh, and then just recently, uh, I, I, it's like the more layers that you peel back that aren't you, you know, the more of you comes forward. And whenever you pull, the, pull those layers back, it's really painful while you're going through it. Yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, once that happens, you get to expand more. And uh, for my personal story, I was uh, addicted to pornography for 16 years of my life uh, from the time I was 14 to 30. Um, while I was running my own business, you know, I was hiding this addiction and I was able to heal from it, but not through a whole bunch of pain as well. And I'm happy to dive into that story, but this is just the overarching story. To sure. Your question. sure. And, uh, and I just, you know, another layer came off and I, I got in touch with the, uh, the suffering of millions of men that are just absolutely being devastated by porn use uh, when it comes to their relationships and their business and their life. Um, and once I got reconnected, so to speak, to that suffering, uh, you know, I just knew in my heart that this was the next calling. And and really, as of what I can see right now, uh, the highest calling that I could uh, serve uh, on this planet. So let me ask you this. I'm going to put you in front of a bunch of third graders at a career day. And one of the kids looks up and says, hey, what do you do for a living? How do you answer that child? Uh, I would tell that child that I help spiritual men quit porn heal from shame, and rise to the highest version of themselves. So what did you want to be in the third grade? What was your dream? Baseball player. And I was a really good baseball player. I was a three-sports star in high school. Um, I still hold the the batting average record in Georgia. Uh, my senior year, I batted 600. Um, and then I went on to play college baseball. I ended up hurting my arm. And that was my first uh, bout with depression. And wow. I was, uh, so, uh, I was very skilled, uh, with sports and that was the big dream. Uh, but absolutely knowing at this point that it was ultimately just a step in the journey that was leading me towards something that is even greater, uh, in my eyes. So let's go back to where you were born and raised. There was obviously seeds that were put into you to be an athlete and to be highly driven and to help people through their addictions right now. Kind of walk me through those seeds and how they became who you are today. Yeah, so I was raised in an upper middle class white American family. I had all the things that uh, privileges uh, that come with that. Um, I acknowledge that. I honor that. I'm grateful for that. Uh, you know, my father was in the military, so very a structured, um, be your word, integrity. You know, these were things that he was very much uh, instilled into me. But then still, uh, you know, I have my own natural tendencies to not want to disappoint him. And through those natural tendencies of not wanting to disappoint him, I also would lie when I would get in trouble. And I actually trace back the beginning of uh, characteristics that cover up an addiction is lying, right? Not wanting to be in trouble. So, um, you know, there's a lot of high expectations and when I didn't meet them, my, and again, I can't explain it any other way except for the first time it ever happened, I reacted in a way in which I lied, right? And then that just became a part of uh, my shadow side, a part of my being. Now, my mother uh, was the sports uh, star. She played tennis in college. Um, she was an incredible tennis player, uh, you know, probably could have went pro if she wouldn't have had me. Um but both of them, you know, were were very much holding me to a high standard, but also uh, gave me the free range to explore, you know, whatever it is that I wanted to explore. And I, I they get they put a baseball bat in my hand when I was like two, you know, and I was hitting off a tee, and that kind of did that. But I also played soccer and football and basketball and 
you know, got to go play outside and do all these things. So I really appreciate the freedom they uh, gave me to explore the wonderment of a child. And uh, then through that, you know, I, I, I like to describe myself as in high school and college, at least, as being too smart for my own good. Uh, and, and smart doesn't always uh, pertain to wisdom, right? Like, I, you know, I got by with <laughs> in high school with a 3.0 grade point average, you know, just doing what I was doing, got by in college doing the same thing. Um, and then the other part of my upbringing, and this is why I say spiritual, is that I was raised uh, Roman Catholic. And uh, if anybody's familiar with this religion or, you know, I, you can really take religion as a whole. And I just want to say, as I'm speaking about this, that I'm not anti-religion. Um, I'm anti-shaming of sexual expression and sexual energy, which a lot of religions have done through their own dogma. Uh, so through that process, you know, I was born a sinner as a Roman Catholic. Uh, you know, I'm born unworthy of God's love. Uh, I'm told that, you know, sex before marriage is a sin. Sin equals guilt. Guilt equals shame. I'm told that watching porn is a sin, that masturbating is a sin, that exploring your body sexually is a sin. You know, so through these things that these beliefs that I adopted over time started to influence, right, this feeling of shame and guilt. And ultimately, the feeling of shame and guilt when it comes to our sexual expression uh, is what leads to us uh, hiding and exploring our sexual expression in the overexpressed and overpopulated and uh, jungle of porn. And it's really one of the contributing factors that has contributed to the creation of the porn industry and how rapidly it's grown and had an effect on the men in this world. Yeah, very true. Who's been kind of a role model or an inspiration for you in your life? Yeah, so when I look out to inspirations, um, ultimately Eckhart Tolle is a, is a wonderful inspiration for me. Um, being able to see and uh, observe his journey so far, you know, starting off as, you know, kind of a counselor and then certainly being uh, in tune to his own journey internally and becoming who he is and uh, the impact that he's made on the world. Um, I love the work that Joe Dispenza does um, when it comes to bring, being able to bring in the scientific aspect of these things, right? And actually be able to put people into brainwaves and seeing that the metaphysical has truth in experiential uh, practice of what's happening as well. Um, and then when I look at another man, a guy out of Austin, Aubrey Marcus, just what he's been able to do um, with cultivating a, a really conscious community that's uh, supporting an overall goal of unity uh, without the throughout the world. And I'll tell you one more just recently, because I got I to gotta shout him out. Robert Kennedy Jr., I, I have never voted for a man in my life. I've never voted for anybody in my life because I've, I've never felt called to vote for somebody. I might, <laughs> I might come out of the shadows and vote for him uh, just because of how uh, much truth that he's willing to speak and how much courage it takes to be able to do that. Yeah. I listened to an interview with him recently and it was fascinating. I never really knew a whole lot about him and his history yeah. and just even him having to endure what he did to see those people around him that were assassinated. There's just so much that goes into him. So you may have already answered my question, my next question, but it's this, if you can meet anybody alive on the planet right now, spend some time with them. Who is it? Hmm. I think Joe Dispenza would be the person that I'd want to spend time with. Uh, you know, when it comes with the work that I'm doing, uh, one of the goals, let's just say, is to reform the addiction recovery space uh, to modern principles that are really working. Uh, modern principles, uh, in my opinion, has to do with actually more like ancient wisdom. 
uh, when it comes to consciousness and un understanding the internal world. So still a psychology, but at a depth of understanding oneness uh, with God, oneness with creator, one with oneness with all. Uh, and then bringing in the somatic-based uh, healing therapies like uh, thermotherapy, hot and cold therapy, breath work, things that are actually uh, purging out stuck energy that ultimately is the cause of creating these you know, thought distortions of need and want and lack uh, that ultimately drive a lot of people into different types of addictions, uh, not just porn addiction. Uh, so the reason why I say I admire him is because, again, he's been able to take what is metaphysical theory. And then now being able to use the right mechanisms and uh, studies and everything else to bring validity to that. And that's something that I really admire and I'd like to bring into the addiction healing space. So speaking of someone like that, and you've mentioned a, a handful of people that are very highly driven. What is that motivation for you every day to wake up, to complete your mission, to help people to do what you want to do with your life? Yeah, so at the very center or core of who I am, um, Words like service and love and grace and integrity and honesty and compassion, you know, these things are what drive me. Um, these are characteristics that I can align to uh, that make it very simple for me to see what is the highest version of myself. Uh, and, you know, anybody that I've ever worked with when it comes to the internal space, I uh, ask them that question. I say, hey, so what does the highest version of yourself look like? And a lot of them can't answer it. Now, some of them might put some external, and there's nothing wrong with putting some external wants and desires on top of that, you know, what I have and what I'm doing. Um, but in an internal guidance of understanding who you are, if you don't know what the highest version of yourself looks like in a sense of who can I align to and who can I be in this moment, then you're just struggling against your struggle. Like there's, there's nothing that's really motivating or guiding you through that. So, you know, I've been motivated before by, you know, you know, big dream home. And I've been motivated before by, you know, uh, and I still am, I'm not gonna tell you I'm not, you know, by an Aston Martin Vantage, right? Like this is one of the things that I can see that I'm like, oh, these are tangible things that would be great. But I also know that if I don't align with what is true to me inside of my soul, uh, then these things are inconsequential in a sense of what actually fills me up. So, the other part of that motivation is, well, who do I want to serve? Well, what really opened up for me was the realization that, well, by me not focusing on a part of myself, uh, because I was addicted to porn for 16 years, like even though it's in the past, that is still my experience. That's still a part of me. So by rejecting, not really putting all my time and attention with the skills and the wisdom and the practices that I have that I know have worked so well uh, inside of this space already, I was rejecting a part of myself. So once I opened up that pathway to that realization that, oh my goodness, like, look at this, uh, let's just use, I know the word pandemic is always, you know, really nice to say these days, but let's look at this massive pandemic of men that are suffering. And let's look at why you are choosing to not go into this space, even though it's already a part of you. So when I look out and I see the men that I'm serving uh, inside of this space and even not knowing the men that are suffering, but just knowing it, you know, just based off the stats and also my own experience, I just see a whole bunch of me. And that motivates me because I am honored to be an example of somebody that's been in the depths of hell of addiction that can come out of it and show them that it's possible because a lot of the guys that I work with don't even think it's possible. So those are the primary motivators for me. So what has been one of your best success stories? 
Yeah, so I've had multiple guys. Uh, the the overall success story I would tell you is that uh, now I was serving about two dozen men, um, and even when I was serving the guys that were like entrepreneurs and C suite execs, sixty to seventy percent of the men that I was serving were were having a porn problem. So this is just you know something in which is common. Um, but within ninety to one hundred and twenty days, you know, we're talking about guys being able to not only release uh, porn out of their life in a sense of the control and the hold that it has on them, but also simultaneously being able to discover who they really are. So I worked with a man that was uh, watching porn since he was five years old. For myself, right, I'm thirty six. So when I uh, started watching porn, I was fourteen. It was two thousand. There was no smartphones, right? We were just going into broadband internet. Right. So for this gentleman, he was 24 years old. Right. So he had been access to porn when he's five. Well, science and has been proven to show at this point that from zero to seven, right, you are creating your subconscious program. You're creating your baseline. Right. So if in your baseline time period, porn starts to become introduced to you as something that you are intaking inside of you, then it becomes something that is desirable of your subconscious mind. So we were able to work through this in about 90 days. You know, in the first 60 days, I would tell you that the man wanted to quit multiple times. You know, he was saying this wasn't working for me. It's not working for me. But ultimately, there was always a gap a little bit longer in between the amount of time that he would choose to watch porn. And once he started to realize and truly understand that he was the cause and the creator of his own addiction, and he was not, not enslaved by the addiction, there was nothing that was more powerful than him through that process. And he became in tune to that level of choice and then started to purge out the, sh the shame and the guilt through these experiential methods uh, that we use in the somatic therapy. He came to me at the end of it and he said, I never thought ever. And I always told myself that I was doomed to suffer. And now I can sit here and realize that I'm the powerful creator of my life and I can do whatever I want to do with my life. And after that, so he was uh, raising dogs or he did dog uh, training and his business was doing moderately well. And then over the next two to three months, he doubled and tripled his income through that process just by having this profound realization and experiencing himself as the creator of his life. So of all of the things that you've done in your life, what are you the proudest of? I would say that I'm the proudest of my myself in a sense of being able to move through uh, this addiction and also choosing myself. You know, a lot of times, and this is my experience as well, is we're told that, you know, it's about serving others. Uh, but people can get so lost in serving others, uh, losing themselves to the process, you know, becoming kind of like a chameleon to other people's experience, you know, whatever you want me to be. There's, uh, I don't know if anybody, if you've ever watched the Ant-Man 3, I love Marvel movies, I was raised on Marvel, uh, but there's the part at the end where Modoc uh, he says, you know, well, I don't know what to be. Tell me what to be, you know, and the girl's like, just don't be a dick. Right. But it's like, okay. so that's, that's how so many people are. They're like, I don't know what to be. Just tell me what to be. And that's what happens when we get lost in serving others, when we don't really choose ourselves first, because as a society, we've created this uh, collective belief that serving ourselves first is selfish. But then we also hear other things like, well, you got to put your mask on first before you put your mask on somebody else. And everybody uses the analogy and we all shake our head and say, oh yeah, that's true. But the integration of that and actually doing that is something that I struggled with. Yeah. So in this last year, I have 
move through my own internal resistance of those beliefs to say, no, Zach, you're choosing yourself first and you're choosing yourself first so that you can be a better servant for others. And that's also what came through with this big realization in my life about who I was going to serve and how I was going to serve these men. So I'm curious as someone that was close to the major leagues and wanted to be a professional baseball player, if you could go back in time and see any baseball game moment with your own eyes, what would you have loved to have seen? Ooh, probably the 90, 1996 World Series where Mark Wohler's uh, for the Atlanta Braves wins, um, you know, the series. Actually, Steve Avery, who was the pitcher during that time, and he was the fourth rotational pitcher, and he was one of my favorite pitchers. But we had Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin and John Smoltz, you know, oh, yeah. guys. Um, but Avery was the guy that was kind of like the wild card, but he pitched an incredible game in, in the fourth game and was the one that actually sealed the win for the Braves. And uh, like I said, I was raised in Georgia and I was born in Louisiana. So the Braves were pretty much the team of the Southeast. Um, I would have loved to have been at that game to just celebrate that win. You guys were getting a really good Royals player. Nicky Lopez was traded to Atlanta this week. Yeah. N my son is on the spectrum. Um, uh, and the YMCA here has a challenger program. And last year, uh, Nikki was really involved with it. He invited a group out to the stadium and Nikki is the coolest cat, man, like grounded, humble, nice, talented. So you, I, I don't, from what I understand, the pitcher we got <laughs> is no, so I don't know what they're doing. I, I, that's the kind of the part of baseball I stay out of. Yeah. I like to kind of pick away at the stats, but when it comes to front office stuff, it's a mystery to me. Yeah, I think uh, Moneyball really changed the game in that. Yeah. You know, um, that whole philosophy and having it work for some, and uh, I mean, maybe it works for everyone. I think it's just everybody's interpretation of trying to make it work. You know. Yeah. Well, speaking of Moneyball, what they're doing in Oakland is pretty dynamic and amazing. The fact that they're filling that stadium because they're not wanting to have the it's so that what a weird dynamic, you know. <laughs> and they're in the basement like the Royals. We're competing for the worst record in baseball. So, you know. <laughs> but oh, and it was just recently too with the Royals. They won the World Series, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Twenty ten, something like that. It was fifteen. Yeah, we went in fourteen and one in fifteen. And man, we've nosedived since. It's we got a new ownership. We want to get a new stadium. There's so many things going on. But I think, as you probably already know, this like I'll watch it. My wife and I watch it quite a bit, and she's just kind of scratching her head. And I'm like, it's chemistry. These guys just don't have it. They wanted to recreate what they did in fourteen, fifteen. Bring this crop of farm kids up, have them gel. Not because we're in a market where we can't spend a lot. It's a perfect, it's Moneyball Matrix, but it's not working. They're just not, they're not, they're not gelling. So, um, so let me ask you this. Everyone out there, Zach, has a perception of you. You have all these bubbles of people. You have family, friends, clients, colleagues, but you run the show. What's your, your perception of you? What's your take on who you are? Well, I'll say this. And this is something that I'm still moving through at this point, uh, but I know it to be true. So I'm going to speak my truth in the way that I understand it and experience it. I know myself to be God expressing myself as Zach. I also know you to be Joe or God expressing itself as Joe. Uh, I know the trees to be God expressing itself as the trees. Um, to me, this is the deeper truth that I've uncovered in my own experience. Um, and also why I talk about, again, this aspect of spirituality. I like to say that I found God in spite of God. And what I mean by that is I found God in my own personal relationship, uh, in spite of the beliefs that I was told uh, to believe. 
And I never had such a connected, um, grateful, uh, emotional uh, connection with God uh, until I went within and truly started to, again, peel back those layers and find out uh, what is true to me um, and what this has done for me. And I like to tell people this, look, like guys, I, I don't care what you believe. I just want to know that what you believe serves you. Because if it doesn't, why would you believe it? And it's not that I'm perfect because I'm still can catch my ego doing all sorts of different things about trying to tell me that I'm not worthy and not good enough and all these you know stories of lack, right? So it's not that I'm invincible from this voice, but I do have something to ground me back into, which is like, what is tr- what do I want to be true and what do I want to experience? So what that has done for me and what this belief has done for me is it's one empowered me to know that I am worthy. I was born worthy. Why uh, my my company is named Born Free, right? It's the same type of feeling to understand that, hey, we're just remembering something that we have forgotten. And the more we remember, we remember that we're perfect the way that we are, no matter what we've experienced. And even more so, those experiences are perfect for us. So it's also empowered me to know that, hey, I am creating and I feel and I've experienced uh, my will being uh, in unity with God's will with what I know to be God's will. Uh, so every time that I feel downtrodden, every time that I want to, you know, put my head down and cry, uh, I allow myself to express it. And then I have an instant remembering that, hey, this is just part of my human experience. And it's a part of everybody else's human experience. But ultimately, I keep moving forward because I know that I have the will of God behind me. Well said. Zach, if anyone wants to reach out to you, learn more about you, hire you, anything about your world, where can they go? Absolutely. So you can go on to any of my uh, social media outlets, mainly Instagram or Facebook or YouTube at Zach Blakeney. Uh, Luckily, no one really has my name. Uh, You can check out uh, the website www.iambornfree.net. That'll bring you to my one-on-one coaching. Uh, And then also, you know, if you go to my Instagram, uh, you can DM me born free and I will know that you're coming from this uh, show. Uh, And I'll be happy to answer any questions that you might have. I'm an open book. I don't hold anything back. Uh, I just want to serve you. Excellent. Zach, this has been great. I love the story of redemption and just that good, good old fashioned human grit. So thank you for opening up. I appreciate your story. It's my honor, Joe. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. Our esteemed theme music was composed and produced by the great E.E. Pointer of Kansas City's River Cow Orchestra. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. (laughs) 